Well, morning, everybody. Welcome to everyone in this room. Welcome to everyone joining us online. It's good to have those folks joining us from all around the country that way. So glad that you're here. We're stepping back into our series on the life of David. So if you're newer to the Eagle family, we started this series back in April right after Easter, and we've just been tracking with David's life. And we left David off uh, kind of face down in a pile of sin. It was one of those moments in David's journey, right, where we're just all cringing, where it's the David, the not-so-put-together life, David who wakes up and says, how did that happen? Why did I do that? How did that turn out that way? And, and so there's this mess and complication, it's just failure, and it's this, ah. So that's where, where we left him off, and we're picking up the story there. So if you haven't already pulled out your notes, you received on the way in the bulletin there. If you've got the app, you can download the Eagle Church app, and you can get the electronic version of the notes. All of you joining us online, your online host can tell you how to get those, because we're going to be now, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open it up to 2 Samuel chapter 12, because that's where we pick up the story. 2 Samuel 11 is where we left David off where he has committed the sin of adultery with Bathsheba. So he's not with his troops on the front line. He stays back home. He sees an attractive woman. He goes and pursues her. He brings her into his house. They sleep together, conceive a child together, and then he decides he's going to take out Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. So David abuses his power that way. He has Uriah murdered. So we got adultery with Bathsheba. we got a murder of the husband of Bathsheba, Uriah, and we've got a year-long cover-up that's going on where basically David spends a year kind of rationalizing, running, burying, hiding, manipulating, denying really what's happened. And then God does what we've seen God do many times in our lives, right? God has to get in the way to show us the way, right? God's going to stand in the way of David to show him the way, and he does it through a friend, the prophet Nathan. And this is where we pick it up, 2 Samuel 12. Here's what, verse 13. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. So remember, Nathan comes, tells him a story, and tells him the story in a way that David's just furious about who the guilty party is, and Nathan says to him, you are that man. And David's response is, I've sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin, you're not going to die. Now, that's an important statement because the Old Testament law during that day was if you committed adultery, the penalty was death. So, commit adultery, you're going to die. So, Nathan's telling him God's not just going to execute judgment here. He's going to work with grace. He's going to give him something he doesn't deserve to get, which is more life to live. Like, hey, David, you're not going to die. God's going to keep working with you. You're going to keep living but there's going to be some stuff we have to deal with. Verse 14, but because by doing this, you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. So justice is David would be, his life would be taken. Grace is, I'm going to keep working with you. You're not going to die. You're going to have more life to live. And here's the picture you get, like, this role, David wrote Psalm 51 from this place of confession. Confession and repentance and grace, all an important part of the journey, right, of restoring and rebuilding and reconciling. But here's kind of the principle we're going to look at today. It doesn't, grace doesn't discount the fact of the consequences that flow from the sin that's been committed. So grace is the ability, like you've got more life to live. Grace is God's going to keep working with you. Grace says I can mature and grow and develop from this. 
Grace is I can move towards those that I've hurt in my sin. That's the grace. Grace is not that I don't have the consequences, the ripple effect from the sin to deal with. I was reminded earlier this year about one of my friends in a place of anger. He took his fist and just slammed it into a door. In a place of anger, just punched the door. And so in that, he broke two bones in his hand. And so over the course of a couple of days after he was in his eye, he realized, you know what, I, he kind of cooled down a couple days later, right? He said, took a deep breath about how stupid that was, talked to the Lord about it, talked to those that he hurt directly by it, and then guess what? The next five months he spent doing, his broken bones had to heal up. He was casted, he had to deal with, so Grace wasn't that his bones were healed instantly. Grace was the fact that, hey, God's going to keep working with him. God's going to keep growing him, right? He's going to learn a little bit more about self-control, maybe to handle the anger outbursts a little bit better in the future. The grace is God keeps working with us. Grace isn't that your broken bones heal automatically. Paul said it this way in Galatians. This is what Paul's getting at in the New Testament when he wrote this in Galatians 6. Do not be deceived God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. But the one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So do you see that? There's the picture you get, right? So from the sinful nature, this is what David's been, he's sowing into the sinful nature. And Paul says you're going to reap what you sow. The principle is you reap what you sow and you store what you reap. This is the story, the section of David's story we're at. David, you've been reaping towards the sinful nature. Now you're going to like sow out of that reaping what you've stored up. And we're going to look at it through four layers of fracturing. There's a ripple effect from David's sin with Bathsheba and Uriah and the cover-up. There's a ripple effect from that sin, and it goes four layers deep. And I'll call it four fracturing. That's why I entitled this morning, Broken Bones. The grace is, David, God's still working with you. You're not dead. Justice would be you're out of the picture and moving on to the next person. But God's still working with him, and now there's going to be the healing up of the broken bones section. So here's the first fracture in the story. Fracture number one I put in your notes is the death of the infant son that was born to he and Bathsheba. So they have a son who's born from that time of adultery and the son God says, you know what? He gives them seven days and then after seven days he takes the son from them. The son dies. That's a discussion for another day on all of that, but the significance for David is the wave of grief, the consequence for his sin. Reap what you sow, you store what you reap. That's what's going on here. So the first fracture is David's realizing my sin doesn't just affect me. Our sin never just affects us, right, gang? It always affects those around us. Your sin, you think just is impacting you, it's always affecting those around you. And that's what David, hey, this is impacting Bathsheba and now their son and all the grief and the loss. Can you imagine that funeral situation he had to lead through? So there's fracture one, he loses a son. Fracture two is brother is going to murder brother. David has six sons during this section of his life in Hebron. Two of the six sons, one son kills the other son. Absalom kills Amnon, two of David's sons. What's the backdrop there? You can, you can write 2 Samuel 13 beside this fracture if you want. 2 Samuel 13 gives you the details where Amnon decides to rape his sister Tamar. 
Absalom, also a brother, is very upset about what happened to Tamar, obviously. And so here's Absalom looking for dad to step in and do what dads are supposed to do when daughters are devastated. He's looking for dad to step in and fight for his daughter and declare injustice and set Amnon right and and deal with the situation. Two full years pass, and Amnon, he's really nothing. Dad doesn't step in and do anything to Amnon. So Absalom decides he's going to take matters into his own hands. And he kills, Absalom kills Amnon. So one son taking out another. So he's the second fracture. First fracture is he loses a son. Second fracture is he loses another son at the hands of one of his other sons, Absalom taking out Amnon. And then the third fracture, stay with me now, the third fracture is, do you see how all this is building to the kind of the most significant step in this journey now is 2 Samuel 15, Absalom leads a conspiracy to undermine and usurp David's authority and take over the throne. So basically, Absalom gets to this point, and I want you to see now, turn to 2 Samuel 15 in your Bibles, that's where we're at in the story. The NIV titles it, Absalom's Conspiracy. So this is the third fracture in the story, kind of the ripple out effect from David's sin. He's got this ripple effect from 2 Samuel 11 that goes all the way through the rest of the storyline here. And here's what it says in verse 1, 2 Samuel 15. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and 50 men to run ahead of him. So this is Absalom, son of David. He's decided, you know what, I'm going to take over. I'm going to deal with this the way I want to deal with it. We'll come back to that in just a minute. Verse 2, he, get, he would get up early, stand beside the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, what town are you from? He would answer, your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, look, your claims are valid and proper, but there is no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, if only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or case could come to me, and I would see that he gets justice. Notice the number of times Absalom uses me and I. And, you know, it's this picture, right? Good thing this still doesn't happen today, but let's just imagine if these kinds of things happen today in some of our leadership circles we're dealing with, right? Just imagine, just put yourself there, where someone's just kind of, it's like, uh, I think Ravi Zacharias said years ago, it's the tendency in the heart of man to accelerate the march of destiny, right? There's this accelerating of the march of destiny going on. Absalom has no idea where the story could have gone for him. He's just taking matters into his own hands, and he's going to set himself up to be king. Verse 5, also, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him, and kiss him. Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice. They were coming to David to ask for justice. Absalom's intercepting all of them and building his little tribe that way. And look what it says, last section of verse 6. So he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. So I want you to see, I want you to see Absalom in this story. I want you to picture him as a young warrior. I want you to climb inside of Absalom's world for a minute here. He's a young warrior who's been on the receiving end of kind of dad's disengagement at home. Dad has been absent for two years. He, he leaves then at the end of that, and he heads off for three years. So it's a total of five years where David's been absent and disengaged from Absalom's storyline. And I want you to think of Absalom like this young warrior 
who's longing for dad to step in and do what dads are supposed to do when daughters are devastated. That's what he's longing for. He's longing for dad to rise up and execute some justice. He's longing for dad to show him what a good king does in massive injustice when sin's been committed. He's a young warrior with all this energy and passion built up inside of him to do something. And you know what a young warrior is absent from a good king, right? A young warrior without a good king has a loose cannon. That's what you got right here on your hands. You got a young warrior who is absent. He's looking for a good king to show him like, hey, Absalom, take all that energy and passion to execute. Swing your sword here, not here. Wisdom is this, not this. The young warrior needs the wisdom of a good king. And he needs his dad to step forward. He needs his dad to be a king. He needs his king to be a dad. That's what Absalom's longing for. Do you see what's going on inside this young man? There's this vacuum inside of him from dad's absentee leadership. And it's this vacuum created that's kind of fueled by David's passivity. And it's just, it's just surging inside of Absalom to the point where he, he murders Amnon. And then he gets 50 men and he sets up a camp and he undermines his dad's authority. He's going to take over the throne. Do you see, where is all that coming from? It didn't just come out of nowhere. It's this brewing and this stirring inside. This is this third fracture of Absalom taking over. I love how Richard Rohr put it in his writing. Look at this. I think I put this quote in your notes. Most men and women grow up with an emptiness inside of them. Call it father hunger, call it male deprivation, call it personal insecurity. It's the same emptiness. Follow this now. When positive masculine energy and energy that can be trusted and relied upon is not shared from father to son, from father to daughter, it creates a vacuum in the soul. And into that vacuum, demons rush. Demons of self-doubt, fear, mistrust, cynicism, and rage. Do you see that inside? Can you see the vacuum inside of Absalom? The vacuum that dad's absence, he just, for, for three years, he longed to see dad step forward and do something about Tamar's situation. Like deal with Amnon for three years. Step in and do what dads are supposed to do when daughters are devastated. And then for two more years, he's, he's longing to see the face of the king, the text says, and David's nowhere to be found. No engagement, disconnected, and inside of Absalom is all this, this passion, this desire, this energy to do something about what's wrong, and it's just brewing inside of him. And like Rohr's quote, inside of that vacuum, all these demons began to rush in. Cynicism, fear, rage, mistrust. He's just growing inside this young warrior who's longing to have a good king lead him and show him, and it's not there. And then there's this scene in 2 Samuel 14 where Absalom decides to light Joab, like David's right-hand man. He lights his field on fire. Isn't that a great image? Like, so Absalom, I think what the picture is, Absalom, Joab is like David's military commander. He goes to Joab's place and he, he sets his field on fire. I think it's like Absalom's one last attempt to get dad's attention, setting fields on fire. I think, I thought about in our role as parents, how many times our kids maybe, for us mom and dad, I wonder how many fields are being set on fire and it's a cry for help from our kids to try to get mom or dad to step in and engage. I wonder sometimes. And that's like right here for Absalom. He's setting some fields on fire. He's like, dad, step in. And dad just stays distant. And into that space, this fracture, Absalom undermines, takes over, takes out the entire kingdom right here. I mean, can you picture this? David, the most revered, right? The, all this history we've been looking at since April. David, the king is being 
the thrones being taken out from under him by his son, Absalom. But that all came from the backstory of, right, you reap what you sow, you store what you reap. The grace, David, is you're still alive. God's still working with you. But the consequence of it is your broken bones still need to heal. And the fracture comes through the family unit all the way through. It's not that the consequences are removed, it's that God's still working with him in it. And so now Absalom sets himself up as king. What's David going to do next? Well, David's going to do what he's quite skilled at doing, as we've seen all through the storyline. He's going to get his men together and run off into the wilderness and hide. How good was he at that? Remember, Saul spent 13 years trying to find him? Running, hiding from the king. So he has to head out because Absalom now has the throne. So David takes his men, heads out into the wilderness and says, I got to go run and I got to hide. And then Absalom and he have this encounter. Jump over to 2 Samuel 18. That's where we're at in the story. And this is the fourth fracture now in the relationship, is that Absalom, verse 9, 2 Samuel 18, Absalom happened to meet David's men. He was riding his mule, and as the mule went under the thick branches of a large oak, Absalom's head got caught in the tree. He was left hanging in midair while the mule he was riding kept on going. So here's a picture I put in your notes. Here's a picture, an artist's representation of Absalom's death. So the fourth fracture is Absalom's killed. So he's hanging from a tree by his hair because he was riding on a mule. There has to be a lot of hair. I got no idea how that thing would work, right? So I'm like. So there he is. He's riding his mule and somehow his hair gets caught. And so he's hanging from that tree. Now, David gave strict instructions to his military leaders. If they were to catch Absalom in a vulnerable, vulnerable position, don't kill him. He wanted to reconcile. He wanted to work through things. David was trying to say, hey, don't, don't kill him that way. But Joab, the military leader, looks at this scene and says, that's too prime of a scene. We're going to take this guy out right now. In verse 14 and 15, here's what Joab, this is David's military leader. He says, I'm not going to wait like this for you. So he took three javelins in his hand and plunged them into Absalom's heart. While Absalom was still alive in the oak tree. And ten of Joab's armor bearers surrounded Absalom, struck him, and killed him. So there's your picture of Absalom. Absalom hanging from a tree by his hair, three spears in his heart. That's how he exits the story. And then word gets to David about Absalom's exit of the story. This is the fourth fracture in the story. And here's how David, verse 33, 2 Samuel 18, the king David was shaken he went up to the room over the gateway and wept, and he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son, my son. So I think you get a picture there like Absalom, like him hanging from a tree by his hair, three spears in his heart, I think is a good picture of like also like somehow, how does God see when there's this usurping and undermining of the authority that he sets up, especially like spiritual authority in our lives and how he sets it up and like sometimes we struggle like all, and like I think Absalom's that picture, like that's a big deal in God's eyes. Like what Absalom was doing against David, though David contributed in his passivity, it didn't give Absalom grounds to do what he did. And God, he steps in. And the throne gets restored back to David in the midst of the storyline, but not, not without the waves of grief. So here's David. He's lost three now, three of his six sons right there. He's lost. Can you feel the weight of that? So the fracture, right? Do you feel the waves of fracture? 
Galatians 6, you reap what you sow, you store what you reap. So David's been sowing to the sinful nature, and now he's got a whole storehouse filled to the sinful nature. He's got the story with Bathsheba, he's got the Uriah, he's got the cover-up, he's gone off the rails, his sin doesn't just affect him, it's affecting all kinds of people around him. And he's calling out, Psalm 51 is your picture of how, where does confession and repentance, and we took a Sunday and just looked at that, like that's an important step in the story. There's this confession step, and he's owning his sin. Through Nathan's confrontation, he's starting to step back into grace. But when he step back, steps back into grace, here's what we're looking at today, right? It doesn't mean it's the removal, right? The bones still have to heal. It's not like he's instantaneously healed. There's the rebuilding and restoring of what's been broken down and the waves of fracture through his family. He loses one son, the one with Bathsheba. He loses Amnon at Absalom. He loses Absalom that way. He loses the throne. And I see all the losses, all the hurts. Do you see that? Do you feel this is David's part of the journey? And so the step for all of us today is this all becomes kind of a setup for our invitation to the communion tables today. So I want you to think of the communion tables today, church, as these tables prepared for a community of the fractured. We are a fractured people, every single one of us. What's the common ground with David and his story? Is we're all fallen. We all have times where we sow to the sinful nature. We don't sow to the spirit. And we all have times where we reap what we sow and we store what we reap. And this table says, you bring all of that fracturing to this table. And Jesus offers his healing grace to us in whatever stage we're at. Whatever multi-layered fracture is going on inside of you or inside of your family or at work, wherever it's happening. Or sin never just affects us. And the ripple of, what do we do with this? This table says you bring your sin to these elements, to Christ's broken body and his shed blood. And he brings his healing grace to you. In a sense, we get to kind of, we get to reap and sow out of everything that Jesus purchased for us. That's what this table says. It's not just about justice today, right? God gives us grace. You get what you don't deserve. God goes beyond justice. He gives us grace. And this is what these tables say today. You get grace today. We get grace today. If we still have breath of life in our lungs, we're not done. If we're not dead, we're not done. He's still working with us. There's another day to live grow, mature, learn, develop, move towards the places where we've hurt people in our sin and our brokenness. That's the grace in all of it. And then also the grace of the broken bones have a chance to heal. And this table says how the healing takes place. So worship team, why don't you come on back up. We're going to lead through some songs. We're going to, those of you who are regulars around here, you know how we handle our communion. But those of you who are newer, the tables are set on both sides here. You don't have to be a member of Eagle to participate in communion. You can just freely join us in our, the way we do it around here. But you do need to have a moment where you check in your heart, say, is my heart towards Christ? Am I going Jesus' way in this? Right? That's the examining part. That's why this section of David's life is a good examining of where am I reaping and sowing? Am I sowing to the Spirit and to the things that God wants? Or am I sowing to the flesh and to the sinful nature? Like, this is a good time to sort through that. And to say, you know, I want to go Jesus' way. This table is set for those who want in their heart to go Jesus' way. And then in just a moment, we'll have you get up. Uh, whole family units often will go together to the tables. And then there's 
Gluten-free options are the smaller tables on both sides. So those of you who need that, you can head to the smaller tables, but the larger tables are set. And just surround the table, right? So there's plenty of room all around the table for you to grab multiple spots there to help the line flow. And then you just spread out around the room. Team will be leading in song. You can just gather as families, spend some time praying together, serve the elements together that way. And you can just take, this is kind of our time together where Jesus invites us to the table. He says, do this in remembrance of me. It's an act of worship where we reflect back on what? His broken body and his shed blood. Think about this. All that was fractured in Jesus' life on our behalf to invite us to bring our fractures to him and he can begin the healing work inside of us. That's communion, church. And I suspect if David were here today, lots of tears would be flowing from all of the grief and the loss, the pain of his own sin that he committed and the ripple effect from that and then equally so, probably the tears of grace that would flow that God didn't give up on him. This isn't the last word of David's story. It's not the last word of your story or mine. So maybe you're in a personal stretch of your life where you feel, man, you identify with that. Like you feel face down in a pile of, I wish I would have never, or I can't believe I did. If you're face down, right, you're right there with David, this table is set for you. Now God's not done with you yet. That's not the end of the story. You might need some casting. It might take a few months to heal up. There's going to have to be some, might be some layers that have to get worked through, but that you're not done. And as we'll see in the weeks ahead, right, God continues to work with him. And this isn't how David exits the story, but it's a really tough section of his story. Like David's family unit, do you get a little window into that? Some of you come from broken, like some pretty broken and difficult family units. I would, I would argue David's is right up there at the top of the stack for a broken mess. This is the king of Israel. So you've got good companions, right, to help guide. Jesus comes, and the title he uses is also the son of David. What the grace of that statement. This David we just looked at, Jesus comes as the son of David. There's grace, church. There's grace for whatever it is you feel like you're carrying. Let's pray together. So, Lord, we just take this moment and your word tells us to pause here before we head to the tables and just examine and just pause and reflect. Where am I reaping and sowing? Like, what's the intent and direction of my heart? And do I want to go the Lord's way with this? And maybe there's some laying down. Maybe you just want to confess right now. You know you've been sowing to the sinful nature in some way. Now confess it. Join David in Psalm 51. Say, Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. Just confess your sin. And then just turn in your heart and say, you know what, Lord, I want to go your way. I want to start sowing to the things of the Spirit. Maybe if you've just felt like you've been in a cycle of just not measuring up and just constantly falling on your face and it just seems to be one failure after the next. May you just hear Jesus say to you today, hey, come to the table. I will help you. Come. My grace is sufficient for you. The grace is you still have breath of life in your lungs. The grace is I'm still working with you. The grace is you can move from this place of failure and sin and grace as you can grow and mature. So 
bring your sin to Jesus and he'll bring his healing grace to you. So Lord, thank you for these elements. Thank you for what the bread represents, your broken body. We remember how it was shed on our behalf. All the whips that were placed on your back and the fists that were slung in your face and then the blood that poured out of your side, your hands and your feet, Lord, we remember how you were bruised for our iniquities, crushed for our transgressions, and that this juice represents, as far as the east is from the west, how you take our sin from us and we bring it to you. And we do it as an act of worship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So if you'll stand, there are places for prayer. There are prayer areas on both sides. Scott, would you mind covering the prayer area over there? Scott Granati will be over there from an elder standpoint. I'll be over here in this area. If you would like prayer for anything, um, we believe God still heals today. Maybe you come in with a physical issue you'd like prayed for, emotional, relational issue. We've got anointing all over there. We'll anoint you with oil. We'll pray. And then you're welcome to just take this time and kind of use it in your space. You want some prayer, go to the communion table, spread out all around this room, and the team will lead us through some songs.